welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. This morning, I want you to grab your Bible and open to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We are in our fifth message through the book of Colossians, and we find ourselves today in verses 21 through 23. The title of our series through the book of Colossians has been The Supreme and Sufficient Savior. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He gets word about what is happening at the church at Colossae. He hears about their testimony and he picks up his pen and he begins to write. Paul had heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and it encouraged him. He heard about the love that they had one for another. He heard about the unity that existed in the church at Colossae. And Psalm 133 in verse one says, how sweet it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. I thank God that he's given us that sweet gift here at Mount Pisgah. It's the same gift of unity that the church at Colossae enjoyed. And Paul is encouraging them as he begins to write. He gives them a quick greeting. He thanks God for their testimony. And then he begins to whisper a prayer for them in verses 9 through 14. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. And he prayed specifically that they would walk worthy of the Lord. When he he finishes that prayer, he gets to some of the main text of this letter to the church at Colossae. Because while there was a faithful testimony that he had heard there were some false teachers that had infiltrated the church. And they were called Gnostics, if you will. And the Gnostics had some crazy ideas and Paul needed to refute some of those ideas. They they claimed, the Gnostics did, that you had to have some superior spiritual knowledge if you were ever going to know Jesus. They said that God is good, but that all physical matter was evil. Now you got to get this because we're going to cover this in just a few minutes. They said all physical matter was evil. Essentially saying that there is no way, absolutely no way that Jesus would have been in a, in a body of flesh because all flesh is evil and Jesus would have never been born into a body of flesh. Paul is going to reject that when he tells them that he is the image of the invisible God. They denied the Gnostics did the deity of God or the deity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. And we preached a couple of weeks ago. They simply did not know the Jesus of the Bible. And so Paul has established who Jesus is. And this morning we're going to see what Jesus does. There's a song that we love to sing, that's who he is. This is what he does. And this morning, that's what we'll see as we open up the word of God to Colossians chapter one. And I wanna consider this topic this morning, how deep the father's love for us. Now, before we stand and read, let me just, by way of introduction, say one more thing. 
I absolutely love preaching through the narrative of the Old Testament. I love to tell the stories of the Old Testament and find application for us under the new covenant. And I love the narrative. As we dive into these letters of Paul, they are very doctrinal in nature. And so we need to understand what we believe, who we were before we met Jesus, how we met Jesus, how we were reconciled to Jesus, who we are after we have been born again by the power of God, and then what is happening next for the child of God. So this message is very doctrinal in nature. And just because it's doctrine doesn't mean it's boring. This is some of the most exciting scripture you will ever read because it gives you the bad news and the bad news is bad. But then it gives you the good news and the good news is better than you could ever imagine. So let's stand together and consider how deep the Father's love for us. If you're there in Colossians chapter one and verse 21, would you say amen? amen. <clears throat> Paul said, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. I had planned to preach through verse 23, but I don't think I'm gonna finish verse 22, to be honest with you this morning, so we'll just stop right there. Since it's only two verses, can we read it one more time? I want you to dig in and pick up what Paul is putting down here. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Heavenly Father, would you drive the truth of this text home in our hearts today? And Lord, I pray that we would remember for the child of God how lost we really were and how saved we really are. And then Lord, for the lost, those that are here this morning that are uncertain of their eternity. Lord, they don't know where they will spend eternity when they leave this life. I pray, sweet Holy Spirit, you would bring conviction. And Lord, they would surrender their life to you today. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and glory for it all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. One of the things that I want you to leave with today and try as best you can and as best I can in our finite minds is I want us to leave today realizing how deep the Father's love really is for us. Because the truth is, for the child of God, we were once lost undone, enemies of God. And in that condition, in our lost condition, in our condition that caused us to be enemies with God, he came and reconciled us unto himself through the death on Calvary's cross. 
So the spotlight of Paul's letter is going to move now from the deity of Christ to the death of Christ. There's three things I want you to see in our passage this morning. Number one, I want you to see past alienation. Past alienation. Now, since the fall of man, there in the Garden of Eden, all of us have been born sinners. And Paul says, and you. Now, I know he's speaking to the Colossian church, but he might as well be speaking to us as well. And you that were sometimes what? You were sometimes what? Alienated. That means you were separated. Sin is what has separated you from God. And that separation is absolutely horrible news for the unbeliever. The situation that we found ourselves in prior to being saved by God's grace was a situation of desperation. Now, Paul parallels this passage here in Ephesians chapter two, when he says this, and you hath he quickened who were dead. You aren't just desperate and doomed, you were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Paul goes on to say all the way down in verse 12 of Ephesians 2 that at sometimes you were without Christ being what? Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having what? No hope and without God. That's the condition of lost man. You're here this morning, you're saved by God's grace, you are acting out what we sang a few minutes ago and you're rejoicing. I want you to not just in your rejoicing, rejoice about what is to come. I want you to rejoice when you remember who you were before Christ because who you were before Christ is someone who was alienated, doomed, dead, without hope. There's three things he tells us about this alienation. Number one, we were separated. We were separated. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 59 and verse two, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. See, before reconciliation can ever happen, there was alienation. We were estranged. We were cut off from God because what sin does is sin separates. And not only separates us from a holy God, but even inside the family, you'll find out sin separates. Romans tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and it's that sin, that, that self-nature, that sin nature that separates us from a holy God. And I want us to understand this morning that until we realize how bad our situation was, we will never appreciate how good his reconciliation is. We were separated without hope. See, I'm not sure we realize how lost we really were. Without hope, dead. We were separated. We were sick. Notice the language Paul uses here. Go back to verse 21. 
and you that were sometimes, sometime alienated and enemies where in your what? In your mind. Now that goes back to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, that our mind is filled with self-seeking desires. That we fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Paul said in Romans, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But the carnal mind is at enmity against God. Our mind, before, this is before we got saved, while we were alienated from God, our mind was sick. And it was in hostility towards God. You say, I've never been hostile towards God. Listen, if you're unsaved, you're a child of the devil. And the, and, and the, and the devil is at enmity with God. And so you can be a good person and your mind to be sick. If you're unsaved, the unsaved, they rebel against God. They, they, they despise the clear commands of scripture. They despise the holy commands and the demands of God. They rebel against God because they hate to think the fact that somebody's going to tell them what to do. You ever hear of those people? Ain't nobody telling me what to do. Don't nobody tell me what to do. Well, you might be rough and tough at your house and all you men that stand up and say, don't nobody tell me what to do. You say that in public, but when you get in private with her, you say, baby, I really didn't mean that. <laughs> but all of us that like to say, don't nobody tell me what to do. You better understand there's an authority in your life that does tell you what to do. And those that are unsaved can't stand the fact that there's an authority that is going to tell them what to do. And the fact that they hate being told what to do is what leads to people making up their own rules in their mind. You want to be a man, be a man. You want to be a woman, be a woman. You want to marry your dog, marry your dog. Right? We just make it up in our mind because your mind is sick when it is without Christ. And John says it this way, that unbelievers love the darkness more than light. So the problem for the unbeliever, the problem for the unsaved is not ignorance. It's willful love of sin. Paul's explaining to us how desperate and doomed we were before Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you are in a desperate situation. You are dead spiritually and you need God to quicken your mortal spirit and make you alive in Christ. He says we're separated, we're sick, and we're shameless. You see, what we think impacts how we behave. Let's go right back to the text. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind, watch this next statement, by wicked works. You see, what you believe shows up in your behavior. What we embrace in our mind is then lived out in our actions. And we could give thousands of examples of how 
a sin-sick mind shows up in actions. But here's something I want you to grasp this morning. That that we have just described, separated, sick, shameless. That's not just everybody else. Verse 21, what's the second word of verse 21? And you. You see, we were in that same boat. Leave verse 21 up there for just a minute. This is where we were. And you, who were sometimes alienated, you were enemies in your mind, and it showed up in your wicked works. Well, that's some bad news, isn't it? Alienated, separated, sick, and shameless. Well, there's past alienation, but there's present reconciliation. Let's get to the good news because there is good news and there's greater news. Look at the last part of verse 21. Yet now hath he what? What's that word? Reconciled. Now, what does that word reconciled means? That word reconciled means to remove hostility or to make peace. It speaks of removing any obstacle that is preventing peace and unity. And there's only one obstacle between us and God, and that's sin. And so when when we deal with sin, we can then be reconciled unto God. It says, in his, or he reconciled us. Notice a couple of things with me about this present reconciliation. Number one, notice the person of reconciliation. Right there in the last part of verse 21 says, he reconciled. Well, who is that he? Who is the one that did the work of reconciliation? Who, who is the he? Well, it's none other than who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Jesus of the Bible that Paul has fully explained who he is in the preceding verses. He is the one who is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. The one that created thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. He's the one that was before all things. He's the one by who all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the preeminent. He's the firstborn from the dead. Some say he's the lily of the valley the rose of Sharon, the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega. He is the one and the only one who could do what only he could do by going to the cross and reconciling you unto himself. There's only one that could do that and his name is Jesus. Only one. Nobody can reconcile you unto Christ except Christ himself. We seek reconciliation with God through our good works. Dead people can't be reconciled unto God and you're dead spiritually. Doomed people can't be reconciled unto God through their own activity. You can be the greatest person ever, but if you've never realized your sinful condition, repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and been reconciled unto God, you will spend an eternity separated from him, there's the person of reconciliation. Notice with me, secondly, the price of reconciliation. 
Now look what Paul says in verse 22. I love this. Remember, the Gnostics said, all flesh is evil. And Jesus would have never come in a body of flesh. Remember that? That's what they believed. That's why Paul uses this kind of language here in verse 22. Look what he says. So he's reconciled, how? In the body of his, what? Flesh through what? Death. It wasn't just the incarnation that brought reconciliation. It was the death on a hill called Calvary. There just outside of the city of Jerusalem, the soldiers marched our darling savior up Golgotha's hill where after having put on a crown of thorns on his brow, being beaten there at the whipping post, they drove the nails in his hands and in his feet, attaching him to that cruel Roman cross. What is he doing there? He's paying the price of redemption and reconciliation. They then hoisted that cross in the air suspending the darling savior between heaven and earth for some six hours. And we know that during that time, he would push up on that spike that was in his feet and he would, he would gasp for breath and he would speak at least seven times. And the first time that he spoke, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He looked over at the thief and he said, today, shall thou be with me in paradise? He looks down at John and his mother Mary and he says, Behold thy mother, behold thy son. And then he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. And then he says, tetelestea, it is finished. And then he finally says, Father, into thy hands I come in my spirit. And the Bible says that Jesus bowed his head and he died. That's the price of reconciliation. A man, a perfect man had to die so that you and I could be reconciled unto the father. Nobody else could have done that for us, but him. He's the only perfect, sinless, spotless sacrifice that could have paid the sin debt that caused us to then be reconciled. Romans chapter five and verse 10 says, for as when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Listen, the obstacle to sin that created a barrier between us and God was removed by the finished work on Calvary's cross. And now it's just receiving that free gift that then leads to complete reconciliation. Think about the prodigal son. When there was reconciliation, how the father felt and how the son felt full reconciliation. You see, we were doomed. We were sin sick, self-absorbed, a child of Satan. But Jesus Christ in our sinfulness and in that condition, enemies with God, wicked in our works, in that condition, Jesus said, 
I'll die for them. I'll give my life for them. He commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's past alienation. There's present reconciliation. Can I ask you a question this morning? Have you ever experienced true reconciliation with an almighty God? Jesus died that you might experience full reconciliation and no longer be at odds with a holy God. Yeah, there's past alienation, present reconciliation. Notice with me in verse 22, future presentation. Notice what Paul says. He says, in the body of flesh through death, why? To present, what's that next word? Mm. What's that next word? Oh. I can't get over that, man. He says, you are alienated, sin sick, separated. And through the death of Jesus on the cross, you've been reconciled. And one of these days, I'm going to present you to the Father, holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. Do you get how deep that really is? None of us in our own sinfulness in our flesh could ever be holy before a holy God. There's no way. But he says, I'm going to present you to the Father. Holy. There's three things I want you to see about what God says. He uses three adjectives. None. First is the word holy. He uses that same Greek word three times in this chapter, each time referring to the saints. But it means this, unstained by sin and evil, perfect in every way. Y'all not picking that up. You see the condition we were in before we got saved? We've been reconciled and our nasty, rotten, low-down self is going to be presented by Jesus to a holy God and we will be and stand holy before a holy God. Now, that's all because of imputed righteousness, not because of ours. But we will be presented holy. Then look at the second word, unblameable, blameless. Here's what that word speaks of. It speaks of a sacrifice that they would bring to the, to the, uh, uh, to the temple and they would inspect that sacrifice and over and over and over, they would look at it and look at it and look at it and they could find no blemish on it whatsoever. Jesus, the Lamb of God came. He was our sinless, spotless sacrifice and you and I one day will stand holy. We will stand in, in, in a way that is blameless because we will stand in his righteousness. Then look what he says, holy, unblameable, 
unreprovable. That word means beyond reproach. It's really a legal term. Listen to this. When we're presented, we will stand in such holiness. That word beyond reproach, that word unreprovable means there will be no accusation that could be made against us. Now, it's good when an accusation is made against you and you are found innocent of the accusation. But on this day, he'll not even receive an accusation against us. <laughs> Boy, I wish I could give this out the way I got it, man. I wish I, could, I wish I could somehow explain what God's doing inside of my soul when he's reminding me of how desperate my condition was before him. And because of the cross of Calvary, I can be reconciled unto a holy God, but not because of anything I've done, but because of everything he's done. And one day, one day, he's gonna present us holy, unblameable, unreprovable, Ephesians chapter five in verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present it to himself, that he might present it to himself a what? Glorious church, not having what? Spot nor wrinkle, nor any such thing. Listen, I'm here to tell you one of these days, I'm gonna stand in the righteousness of Christ before a holy God, spotless, without wrinkle and without spot, man, because of the precious blood of Jesus that reconciled a lost sinner like me unto himself. There's a young boy that always wanted to go over to Great Britain. And he wanted to see the army of Great Britain. He wanted to see the Redcoats. And he convinced his grandfather to take him over to Great Britain one day and see that great army and see those brilliant Redcoats. Grandfather made reservations at a hotel that was right on the street where that army would walk by. And they got up that morning and the grandfather was getting ready and the grandson was over at the window, peering out the window, wanting to see the redcoats. And he said, Papa, look, look at their beautiful white coats. And the grandfather was over getting ready. He thought, white coats, they're the redcoats. So the grandfather walked over to the window and he peered out the window and to his astonishment, those red coats were a brilliant, bright white. And then he noticed there was a film on the glass that was tinted a little red. And when you look through red, and when you look through red, at red, it turns white. I could take a lap around this building, man. I'm telling you. You have been reconciled right. unto God, washed clean. And when he sees you, he looks through the blood of his son, Jesus. 
and sees you white, spotless, without wrinkle. How deep, how deep the Father's love for us. Now the invitation is very simple this morning. Have you been reconciled unto God? Has there ever come a time in your life when you repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, in just a moment, we're gonna stand to our feet. God's dealing with you about your eternity. If that's the case, you just make your way forward. Pastor Phil will be standing here. Pastor Hayden will be standing here. I'll be standing here. Just put your hand in ours and say, I've never been saved. And God's dealing with me about my eternity. I need to be saved. Let me make it easy for you. Just say this, I need to be saved. We can show you from the word of God how that reconciliation work really happens. Secondly, for those of us that have been saved, this passage ought to remind us of how deep the Father's love is for us. It ought to cause us to fall on our face before him and say, Lord, we are not worthy, but we are thankful for the reconciling work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And Heavenly Father, I look forward to one day. Because listen, when you get saved, you don't become sinless. I wish we did. I I, I wish we just became sinless at the moment of salvation. Now we'll never give an account for sin because it was paid for on the cross of Calvary. But it could be that we just say, Lord, thank you for saving me and I look forward to the day. you present your church holy, unblameable, unreprovable, without spot, without blemish. Lord, I just want to say thank you. How deep the Father's love for us. As we stand to our feet, Gabby's going to lead us. You join us in singing. You be the first to the altar. Heavenly Father, we pray now You would do the work that only you can do during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.